Blog Talk Radio. Today, my brothers and sisters, fellow entrepreneurs around the globe, it is 0600 hours Eastern, or Romeo, if you sailors out there, 1000 hours GMT or Zulu. This is Rudder Radio, your guide to thrive in any economy. I'm William Eastman, Managing Partner for Applied Knowledge Labs North America, and uh, we are changing the formula of business success for companies from zero to 500 billion in revenue. 500 million in revenue. I wish it was 500 billion, but it's 500 million in revenue. I'm your host for the next 30 minutes. Today's show is number five in a series of six, and it's called Thriving on Deals, Partnerships, and Alliances. Now, you can join the show and participate in, in three different ways. Uh, number one is you can hear out uh, at blogtalkradio.com uh, slash the rudder, T-H-E hyphen R-U-T-T-E-R. You can hit chat now and join the conversation. Hit me with some questions. I'm not sure I'm going to be overly talkative um, with you back and forth on chat, but I'm really looking for questions uh, related to small business, uh, related to growth of small businesses or to the topic area. You can call in directly, and you can reach us at uh, 347 215-7471. You can also hit me on Twitter. My personal account is W Eastman, W-E-A-S-T-M-A-N, and I, monitor, I am monitoring that as well. So if you've got something on Twitter, you can say, hey, how about this? And uh, we'll see, hey, about that. And so now, let me, let's rock the roll here. Uh, where are we in the series? Well, let me just do a brief overview. For those of you that listen to the show regularly, uh, I do this to kind of help you put it in portion. For those of you who don't or your first time, here's what we did. Um, everything we do in the company is focused around small companies becoming large companies. And how do you grow in a fast and sustainable way? It is very, very difficult. And one of the analogies we used last week was that if you went to an auditorium that had a thousand people in it. If you came to a presentation that I gave, and there were a thousand people in attendance, and every one of you were starting a business that day, only one of the thousand has even got the option to become one of the big players in the marketplace. And what we've been doing is distilling why is that the case. One of the things that we did years ago, and this is long before we were we weren't doing this as a product to sell. We were doing this for our own. Uh, edification is that we were building a a training consulting firm inside of another company and I was asked to be a managing partner and I said gee maybe what we ought to do is benchmark ourselves Um, why don't we look at other companies either in our space or other spaces what are they doing let's copy the best the best and let's start there knowing that um, you know where you wind up is where you wind up one of the things I looked at was what were the business strategies of these companies that made it because we had had a number of these companies that had like uh, Ascend Communications that had gone from nothing to very, very large uh, fairly quickly and said, gee, what about them gives them those characteristics? And what we did is we identified 
around business strategy, six things that they did that made them far superior to everybody else. One is they did business in a new way, which we covered, uh, let me see here, we covered last Tuesday, the 7th, we covered that. Uh, the second thing they did is they attacked low-cost, high-margin opportunities. They were able to identify where, for minimum investment, they got a maximum return. We covered that on Wednesday the 8th. Um, take monumental risk was number three. And what we did is we kind of attacked the idea, almost the explode the myth of the e-myth uh, when people talk about what is risk look like to entrepreneurs. And that's a very interesting paradox we talked about there. And that was last Thursday. On Friday last week, where we left off, was the issue of exponential returns. And exponential returns meant on all elements of the business, even surprisingly, internal functions were beginning to provide revenue to the company. Uh, today's show, which I'll detail in, in greater length, is the Thrive on Deals, Partnerships, and Alliances. And finally, uh, tomorrow, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about out-managing the competition. And uh, th that is the last of the six. And then we're going to do uh, this week is we're going to finish out some miscellaneous th uh, issues that we didn't discuss because it's simply in a 30-minute show, um, it becomes exceedingly difficult to do any type of drill down. And so what I'm trying to do is treat the, the, the content, the subject matter of our conversation, with some integrity at the, and on one hand, and on the other hand, uh, not bore you with the great details. Because if you want the details, that's relatively simple. Um, all you've got to do is just ask me either by email, voicemail, um, chat, whatever, and I'll get into it. So anyway, at, uh, at about six past the hour, why don't we start the show? So thriving on uh, deals, partnerships, and alliances, what does this mean? Well, when you're a small company, uh, the, the fundamental issue is that you don't have access to capital. You typically don't have access to markets. Um, you don't have access to a lot of things. You do not have, um, you don't have the ability to just expend a lot of money and build out different parts of the company. You just really at a, at a loss to do that. And typically startups and all the ones that I've been part of, even ones that are internal, is you pick something small that you could do well and you did that, knowing that that was just a small piece of what the entire offer is. Well, one of the ways that you can accelerate that process of growth so that you can offer many things to many people, to be in many channels, and have functions that typically uh, you wouldn't have in a startup, and that is to take a look at what deals, partnerships, and alliances you can put together. Who, um, which suppliers can you partner with? Because typically, suppliers that are in business a long time have a great deal of infrastructure that they use. Well, gee, could we use their infrastructure as part of our channel uh, strategy? And so instead of building our end of this, why couldn't we just perhaps offload that to them? Now, maybe that's something we talk with them with, about and they agree to it, or perhaps we just do it kind of clandestine, in a clandestine fashion. But the idea is that I should be able to look at other organizations out there and partner with them and take advantage of their infrastructure. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, one thing I want to hit you on, and we're not going to, we're not going to detail it now because I'm still working on the outline of the book. I'm working on a book called The Open Source Company. Um, and what I'm getting at here is I'm beginning to see kind of a new business model developing. I am not a, I am not a software coder. Um, that is not my area of expertise. However, I've been involved in the, in the open source movement now for about five years as we've built our company. And we kind of... We're more like a software company than we are a consulting company, marketing company, 
a training company, whatever you want to call us, we look and smell and act like a software firm. And what I'm learning about designing software and building kernels and, and the, the concept of this collaborative design is that I really believe that that's the business model of the future for small businesses because how can you take advantage of being small, which means you're quick, you're agile, and you've got a great price point, and at the same time act big and, take it, and go after the larger businesses that typically you couldn't handle. Well, if you think about open source and you've got a supplier who writes their own code and you've got some marquee customers to write their own code and maybe you outsource some of your product and service uh, development to somebody else, they have their own code. What happens if, can't, why can't you assemble the codes together? And uh, I don't have it all fleshed out yet, but I think it's, it, it, is, it pivots on this idea of deals, partnerships, and alliance. Okay. So l let me give you that there's really, when you look at this, there's two reasons to put together deals, partnerships, and alliances. One of the reasons has to do with business models. Um, and in that you've, you've made a decision about how you're going to go to market where you're going to take advantage of uh, unmet needs or areas where the market's not very um, efficient. And so you build a business model, which, by the way, we will talk about this week. I think business models is the Friday show. It's on the blog site, and uh, um, I'll come back to that before the show because I, I can think and talk at the same time, but not, not at the moment. Um, so you, you're getting help with your business model. And then the other one, obviously, is the one that most people uh, concern themselves with, and that is the issue of revo uh, revenue generation. And how, do I be, and how do I take partnerships that generate revenue? Okay. So that's going to be our focus here for the next few minutes. So let's take business models. Um, on the business model is that you have three, there's really three types of partners or deals that your alliances that you're looking for. One is a supply chain where you just become a member of their product and service catalog. In other words, they're a large organization. Um, I think it like Sharper Image would be one, even though Sharper Image has now uh, gone to the uh, big uh, dustbin in the sky as a, co as a corporation. Uh, but what you do here is that they're always looking for suppliers with something new and innovative. You catch their eye, and they say to you, yeah, let's give it a roll. And then that gives you kind of a, a marketplace and exposure that you would not have received before. So that's one type. The second type is where you, get, where you actually, it's a product or service that is jointly developed, where you work together and you collaborate on the development of that particular, on that, of that particular product or service. Um, one that comes to mind, if you are, any of you are familiar with the software business and uh, people in the CRM, and that has to do with Siebel Systems. And Siebel was, uh, um, a wasn't a spinoff um, of Larry Ellison's organization, Oracle, but they took that knowledge with them and wanted to go after moderate-sized businesses who couldn't afford these big systems. And what they did is they started partnering, and one of their early partners was around Anderson Consulting and uh, before Anderson became Accenture. And what they did here is that... Um, what they did in this relationship is they built software specifically for Anderson, and from that, took that product and started selling it to Anderson's customers. So it's a great opportunity, again, to take, care of, take advantage of somebody who's big, who's got market presence. In this particular case, if you, you partner with a large consulting firm, they're hired to provide advice, and if their advice says buy from these guys, um, it's pretty powerful. 
And then the other one is the, um, they give you a, a channel where they have a, a dis, uh, they have a channel to a particular market and they give you access to that. And the example here is the classic one of what Bill Gates was able to do in his various uh, crazy deals of the late 70s and early 80s to get involved with um, IBM. And what IBM did is that it, it not only took his product and service, they didn't co-develop it, they not only took that, but they didn't have a catalog to say, you know, you could buy Microsoft from us, but actually they took Microsoft everywhere with this operating system and gave them the exposure that made their phone ring. So on the business model side, what, what's, the, what's the bottom line here? As we're going to talk about, I think, on Wednesday or Thursday, again, check the blog site, and I'll get some clarity on this before we go off the, off the air in about uh, 17 minutes is this, is that part of doing business in a new way is having a business model that gives you a competitive advantage. If you're a small company that's undercapitalized, the odds are you cannot flesh out the entire business model. There are pieces you can do today. Uh, there's pieces that you can't do today. One of the ways to make yourself whole fast is to get partnerships with organizations that are specialists in a particular area or very, very large. And because of that, you can suddenly flesh out your whole offer. Now, the option available to you, one is we will continue to go there. And instead of building everything else out, let's just use this partner model. Or the partner model is strictly one for a short period of time. All right, let me, uh, let me pause here between this piece on business models and revenue and uh, basically say this to you. Our business as a company is to help small businesses grow. And uh, my experience with it, this is my fifth startup. Uh, three were external startups where I did it with my own money or other people's money. Two of my startups were inside of companies where I started new business units or divisions. And so one of the things I understand about it is just how demanding this is. And I remember thinking, like, this morning at 4.30 when I got up to do the show here in Richmond, Virginia, is that uh, I sometimes I just get tired of being tired, uh, tired of stressing out about stuff like the economy. I mean, if you're selling into the small business market right now, it is friggin' ugly. I, we've got so many different deals going on with our partners around the country uh, that everything's on hold. And, and, it's, and it's on hold because people are fearful to spend um, and when people are fearful to spend, it doesn't matter how good your offer is. It doesn't matter what type of um, uh, deal terms you offer is that they're simply not going to spend it because they're not sure they can replace it. And so all this is a challenge to you because you're right now you're burning through cash. Um, it's your money. Um, I, I don't know about the rest of you. In this particular case, I sold everything I owned to start this business seven years ago. I don't have a 401k. I don't even have a place to live, so to speak. And the reason for that was that I needed all this commitment because I was not going to take on partners and lose the ownership of the firm early in the process. And so the deal becomes, how do I transform my dream into a reality? Well, that's what we do in Applied Knowledge Labs. And what we do is we provide you with the tools to grow your company regardless of the economy. See, I think the really best companies, what they're doing right now, is that they're building, they're building survival. In other words, in this economy right now where everybody's out of survival, and yes, you've got to survive, but the real trick here is in the process of surviving, 
how do I strengthen the company? How do I make sure that when this is over, whenever this is over, and I'm not going to make any predictions about when it's over, but I think later, I think it's going to be later rather than sooner, is that when this ends, all of my competitors are weakened by what has happened. How do I, how do I come out of this stronger? And so what I can go out and do now is go out and pick off the best customers from my competitors and grow my business by expanding into their areas. That's what the, that's what the best of the best companies are doing right now. In fact, the best practices of, of ex- uh, surviving in this type of economy is when you hold your base, hold your base of your most pros- profitable customers, and two, you make sure that it, your processes become the lowest cost producer. Well, that's what we do. And we help people get that done. So if you want to contact us, you've got all the information on the show, just give me a buzz through. And what we'll do is we'll send you a free report or paper or whatever you want to call it, PowerPoint, uh, the best practices of growing in a recession. But give you some ideas what you can do with your company. And you can uh, contact me any way that you like through, the, uh, through our show page. Or uh, we just opened up a Skype, uh, Skype hotline, and you can call us on Skype at 804. 471-1660. That's 804-471-1660. So anyway, um, oh, I had a nice comment here <laughs> just in response to somebody said, you're in a sales mode. Well, you know what? I don't know about the rest of you. I'm not independently wealthy, so as I'm building a company, we don't do this for free. All right, so let me now talk about revenue. So the first half of this was business models. The other half of this is into revenue. And so why would you partner with somebody? Well, what you're looking for is you're looking for a revenue alliance. You're looking for a way of getting more money into the company. Uh, so why? Well, here's how you do it. Number one is that uh, in the revenue component, you're looking for alliance to secure a beachhead and a customer. Uh, in other words, somehow what this will do is it will give you an entree into a market. A good friend of mine who is the former uh, vice president of sales at Ascend Communications talks about how they did this. And they did this by, on their beachhead with Walmart. Now, as it turned out, what they did is they, uh, they beat Cisco out for a major contract for uh, routers and switchers uh, for, uh, as part of Walmart's inventory, which is one of the inventory systems, which is one of the best in the world. And what they wound up is they never made any real money on it because of Walmart's strategy with uh, cost is they're constantly grinding their suppliers. But the reason that they did it was, one, they beat Cisco, so they proved they could do it. Two, is they were co-developing with uh, Walmart, because Walmart knew that they were kind of new to the space and said, look, we'll work with you. We'll put our engineers in Bentonville. We'll put our engineers in all your distribution centers. This thing will work. We'll guarantee it. So Walmart got themselves quite a deal. But really what they did is then they had the ability to say, who look at who we're at, and they use that as a way to get into other markets and get into other distribution players. Uh, a second issue around revenue is the area of mindshare, and that is how do how do I associate with brands that suddenly bring us to attention? And in some ways, I go back to the Microsoft uh, IBM example: is to, nobody ever heard of Bill Gates, nobody ever heard of Microsoft. But all of a sudden, people were going, well, who are these Microsoft characters? Uh, today, the greatest one would be is build yourself a widget, even if you give it away for free, and put it on MySpace. Um, Facebook, MySpace, or even better, build a widget for Google. Now, you're not going to make any money off of this, but imagine if somebody would start um, downloading 
they started downloading your widgets and going, hey, who are these characters? Uh, this is pretty hot stuff. And so what you were trying to do is get Mindshare. And remember that, that you know, we talked about this uh, about a month ago. And most of you who are, especially those of you who are on and listening right now, probably weren't there as I'm looking at the chat room area, is that with Mindshare, there's kind of four levels to this. Level number one is that you're an unknown. I mean, if, if you walk around and talk to 100 customers and you, and you say your corporate name, um, they all go, who? And so we all start there. What we want to do is move rung up that when people walk around and, they, and you say, hey, have you heard of so-and-so? Have you heard of Ninja Marketing? Then you go, yeah, I've heard of those guys. Now, you, they don't just naturally think of you, but that, yeah, I kind of I recognize who they are. The third step up the rung and almost to the top is that when they're thinking about doing Internet marketing, one of the companies that uh, comes to mind is they go, hey, about the, how about those ninja marketing guys? And so now you're in competition. At least they are giving you a thought and perhaps they give you a call. And then, of course, at the top of this is top of mind when they go, hey, uh, anytime they think about a particular area, they go ninja marketing. Those are the only guys to talk to, call them and get a deal. And so that's the thing what I mean about Mindshare. You do that with your own marketing, but, man, if you can get yourself a big-time partner, uh, you can really ramp that up pretty quick, and the phone will ring in ways that will scare you. And then finally, the last one, and this one is probably, uh, I wouldn't say it's the most important, but this is usually the ticket, uh, so to speak, uh, to success, is finding the marquee customer. And what is a marquee customer? Well, a marquee customer is somebody that everybody wants and it puts you on a map. I'll give you an example, personal one on this, is that and I'm going back to the middle 90s. Um, I'm building a consulting operation inside of another company, and we're trying to get on the map. And I looked around and I said, okay, let's pick, let's pick the leaders in a number of hot industries, industries that were hot not only, not only because they were growing, but industries that were hot because they were cool and we want to be part. And one of the industries I uh, picked out was, of course, the Internet was growing. Then people were just discovering the net. Uh, they weren't the geeks uh, of the late 80s who, who knew DARPAnet. And AOL was the company. I mean, it gave people who didn't know anything about anything uh, the ability to sign on and get on the Internet. And, uh, you know, anyway, it was crazy. And it took us two years, two years of constantly going after AOL before we finally got our first gig with AOL. And it was a very small uh, account. wasn't for a great deal of money, but it didn't matter because even if we didn't grow the business to anything else, I could say, and one of our clients is AOL. And so what the marquee customer does, it puts you on the map. Now, let's talk about the marquee customer. What are the benefits of having a marquee customer? Well, one is that they're, they're a product customer, okay? And so at the very least, they will test your products and deploy it because as we're having our conversation, one of the things I'm assuming here is that most of us listening to the show are in startups, we're entrepreneurs, and we really haven't made the, the big time yet. We need somebody who by buying from us gives us the type of legitimacy that we're seeking, but also is that our product is probably not perfect yet. So by having a product customer who is a huge name and a big player, it gives us a chance to test and improve and deploy our products and or services. And they kind of know that when they buy from us, because when you, a big company buys from a small company, they know what they're getting. They, they know that, that you, in some way, they are taking a risk, and more than likely they're looking at some sort of beta. If, in fact, 
you can up the relationship a little bit. A second level to this is they've become kind of a shaper of your business model. And what I mean is that if your business model is to sell to this type of population and these are the type of customers I want, well, what a great way to test it to figure out um, whether or not this is the right business model. And we're going to be talking about business models this week, um, I think. I think business models is Thursday. I really do. But we're going to talk about how do you look at your business model to say what's the right combination of things. Uh, because if you don't get it right, it kind of looks like Frankenstein's monster as you, you bolt parts up together and you go, this doesn't work. And then finally, the last one, uh, kind of the top of the pinnacle, is it's what's called is a lighthouse reference. In other words, um, they become kind of a beacon for you out there, and they begin to sell to peers. They begin to sell within their areas. For example, our relationship with, um, uh, with AOL got us into CompuServe and into Netscape because at the time CompuServe was still a dog, a, 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 at least a player in the market when they bought them, and the same thing happened with Netscape. So we had the ability to move into other areas. So marquee customers um, are basically... <laughs> The kind of where you want to be, and if you are a stage two, a, a growth stage two company, you've, you've just put together your business plan, you, you've basically said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to the market. We're going to start selling. The quickest way to get on the map is find a market customer. Okay, um, let's just kind of, the issue of alliances and kind of wrap this up, is that since you can't do it all, you need to fill in the gaps. And I, and, and I ask you to think about using the concepts around a open source corporation. If you apply those open source principles, I think that what will happen is that you'll begin to think about this real differently. In other words, you write quality code for the piece of the world that you operate in. Can you find other partners who also write code for their pieces, and can you make the code work together? Um, now, what are the rules about putting together a deal? And then what we'll do is we'll summarize in our remaining uh, about four minutes, and that is You've got to choose the right agreement. What, what type of agreement are you, do you want to put together? Um, I can't really drill down on this at the moment. If you want, you know, just hit me up, and I'll give you some ideas on this. Number two is, an, and this is a fun one because we get this all the time, avoid an exclusive relationship but always push for it. What you get when somebody get, looks at your stuff and they get hot on it and they're going, oh, hey, can you give me exclusive? Don't take it. Because then what you basically have done, you've pinned your entire future on their ability to sell. Uh, not a good idea. And so what you do is say, no, we can't do that, but we will give you some sort of limited exclusion. And then constantly push for more and more and more because if they want an exclusive deal, it's going it's to ha have to be exceedingly expensive to do that. And right now, uh, perhaps you're not going to be able to offer that to them. Okay. Number three is that it, you might need to use some equity in the firm to encourage mutual performance. Because the challenge you have, and I've got a lot of experience with this, is that when the partners in a deal are unequals in terms of size, the large always think they're doing the small a favor, and they always ignore the small, even if they approached you. And so you've got to have to give them more of a vested interest in doing this deal other than the few things that you bring to the feast. Um, you're going to need executive champions in the firm. You're going to need people in the firm who are there and they're pumping, they're pumping it for you. They're behind what you're doing. And because you, it, whether you want to grow inside the account or you want to grow into other accounts, you need executive champions to make this work. And then the final one is that you need to have an exit strategy. If this thing goes perfectly, where do you want to be at the end of that? Or if this thing doesn't go well, how do we disembark? 
And so those are the rules around putting uh, the, the, the deals, the uh, Thriving on Deals Partnerships and Alliances. So let me, let me go to my web page here as we're talking. And so I've, uh, there's some vigorous uh, chat going on in the chat room back and forth, some of it related to what we're doing and some of it not, but that's okay. Um, so as we close out the show today, this takes forever to load. I'm going to my sites. And what time is it? We've got about a minute and a half upcoming episodes. All right, let me tell you what's going on. Tomorrow's show. Uh, tomorrow's show is going, to, is going to be on the last piece of this, and that's out managing the competition. The only way that you can pull this off is that if you uh, is if you can outmanage, because if you look at the, all the, the wreckage of the companies that don't make it, what you can pretty much say about the, the companies that don't is this, is that what, what happens to them is they have great business ideas, they may have a lot of money, but they can't manage it. And if you can't manage it, you can't get there. And so that will be the last in the series. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to pick up the, the loose ends, the things that we talk about details. On uh, Wednesday, we're going to talk about business strategies missing like the value proposition. What is the value proposition of your business? Uh, on Thursday, we're going to be talking about the missing link from business strategy, and that's the business model. So you see I was right about business models. We're going to take that one. And finally, on Friday, the last missing link is going to be what is the brand inside? Just as much as you put a brand outside the company, you need to be putting a brand inside the uh, um, a brand inside the company, and that's the, your vision, mission, and values. So with that, thanks to everybody for being on and uh, fun in the chat room, and you have a great business day, wealth and prosperity to all. See you tomorrow morning.